Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And to help us do that today, we have our core of Christ-confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Meridemski, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And we are continuing to make our way through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and we're on Article 12b of Confession and Satisfaction. And uh, we've been covering this for the last several weeks, and today especially we're going to be getting into the section where we see how Scripture can maybe even be misused. Yes, uh, we've talked about this many times, how if you just cherry-pick things out of their context and so forth, Scripture can be misused and misunderstood. And we say that about the Roman Catholic Church at the time, that they misuse portions of Scripture to make their point about how you have to make satisfaction in connection with your repentance and your confession. Anyway, as we cover this today, uh, we want to remind you that we are a live call-in show. You can call in, you can email, you can contact us via social media. To call in, you can call in worldwide at 1-800-730-2727. And you can also uh, reach us at KFUO at KFUO.org by email. And you can find us on the social media, Twitter, Facebook, things like that, at KFUO radio there as well and uh, our studio mom would be happy to pass along any things that come in via social media for us uh, but so we thank her in advance for that but uh, <laughs> as I've been talking here now I uh, would like to bring in the studio guests uh, as they are there and yeah uh, you sound really far away any, uh, any way you would like to set up I kind of set up what we're going to be covering today there in the article and um, anything that you guys like to jump in with I think that we're all set up because from time to time we always are trying to uh, use Scripture to our own advantage. But the fact is we don't use Scripture. Scripture speaks and applies to us, and it makes us exactly what it says that we are, forgiven sinners. Yeah, that's a good point. I, as you say that, I, I often think of how we try... There's scripture as a double-edged sword, and we often think that we are the ones who get to wield it as as if it's a it's a weapon in my own hands. Oh, I just dropped out. As if it's a weapon in my own hands. Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting how how we get into that. Well, I'm, I'm kind of interested if we are going to get into that today at all. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I I remember a little comic strip that I'd seen before of Captain Context of a of a child talking to a parent saying, you said I could get a dog. The dad saying, no, I said when you, you know, you'll get a dog when you don't kill all your goldfish, you know, and Captain Context swoops in to say, oh, if you listen to what your father actually said. So this is exactly that, you know, looking <laughs> what scripture actually says rather than just picking the one part out of it and saying, oh, see, scripture says what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, but let's look at the context. And right? I'm going to use it to beat you over the head like it's a club. Right. Yeah. Or gently, what is it, uh, gently dismantle. What was the phrase at the beginning of this that, that uh, uh, the, the intro to all this, it was a, you know, lengthen, 
uh, uh, tactfully like destroys all of this gently or something. <laughs> <laughs> like looking back to scripture, um, of course I can't see. Well, and the truth, the truth of it is we always are trying to make Scripture somehow better or to soften Scripture, uh, and we end up misusing it and applying it to us. So, uh, but here we get to read from these texts and read from Melanchthon's understanding of, of how this is working. And so I think we're going to go ahead and jump right in, and we will start with... Uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and start with uh, verse uh, with uh, paragraph 25. Uh, in the confutation, the adversaries, that is, the people who disagree with the confessors, had the nerve to impose on his imperial majesty. Let us see how they prove these fables of theirs. They cite many passages from the scriptures to impress the inexperienced. They do this as though this subject, unknown even in the time of Lombard, had authority from the scriptures. They promote such passages as these. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance from Matthew three eight. Present yourselves as present your members as slaves to righteousness from Romans six nineteen. Christ preaches repentance. He says, repent in Matthew four seventeen. Again Christ commands the apostles to preach repentance, and Peter preaches repentance. Afterward, the adversaries quote certain passages of the fathers and the canons and conclude that satisfactions in the church are not to be set aside. This is contrary to the plain gospel and the decrees of the councils and fathers. They even claim that those who have been absolved by the priest should finish the repentance that has been directed. They base this on Paul's declaration, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." So far in these readings, what do we have that is objectionable uh, in the way that these are applied within and outside of their context, speaking about confession and satisfaction for sin? <laughs> I'll go ahead and jump in there. Oh, so, great. Excellent. Yeah, so so one of the things that I see there, especially that, that first one that's cited, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, I would say that this is one of those uh, uh, places where we would say, not that you control you know, how the law works, but I would say that this is definitely a third function of the law, You know, that it serves as that guide. Um, this is a good way to go forward, and, uh, and, and you will see this evident in the life of one who is repentant. But they're using it as if they're trying to control the law of it is not true repentance unless you can prove by some sort of fruit. And, of course, uh, we've talked about several times on the show, they manipulate things as well. And they, they say, well, you have to do these certain works in order uh, to, to show that fruit of repentance. And so I think that they're manipulating what it's saying there, whereas uh, when this is said in, in Matthew there, it is just a, uh, an encouragement of, you know, this is this is the godly way to live. Well, and I know uh, oftentimes you'll talk to people about the faith and they'll say, well, is this really a big deal, this topic, whatever the topic is, is it really a big deal? And um, there'll be the idea that, well, anything we read, we're going to bring our own ideas into and we're just going to make things sound however we want to. But when we bring in that context of what's actually going on, we can see 
when we are shoving our own ideas and trying to manipulate scripture or when we are reading that passage in context to see what it's actually saying, to see that these are not saying, here's how to earn your salvation, go and repent and bear fruit, but instead saying that, uh, as Pastor Smith was saying, that uh, uh, we live this Christian life and that's we live a life of repentance and looking to the cross for our salvation. Well, and in the section here, Melanchthon is saying, look, the context of these verses is the plain gospel and the decrees of the councils and the fathers. That's the context in which we read these. So we don't have a problem with these verses as they are. We, we, we read them and say, this is scripture. This is what scripture teaches, recognizing that the larger context includes the gospel. And so whatever you say these mean, it cannot be against the gospel itself. Whereas we're going to see as we move on here that, well, the adversaries are pretty much pitting these against the gospel and not placing them in, not only in their immediate context in scripture itself, but within the larger context of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ in scripture. And it's amazing how, how easy uh, or how often it is that people will want to dismiss any of the early church fathers from the discussion but everyone's going to quote someone, you know, yeah. everyone's going to, it's just, uh, are you going to look at how the early Christians were interpreting these things? Or are you going to just look at someone that's newer? And uh, as I heard the other day, if you ever hear someone say, hey, I, I read something in scripture and I heard it and no one's ever heard it this way before. That's a problem. That's, you know, a, like, that's a red flag. Yes, that's a major problem. You want to <laughs> make sure that... Nobody's ever said this before. Uh-oh. <laughs> exactly. As and you I cut guys off are Pastor talking, yeah. it reminds me that we talk a lot about the distinction between law and gospel. But these, these scripture passages that are being used here are actually being used in a way that separates law and gospel. Mm. And even as Jesus is calling people to repent and believe the gospel... There's no gospel to be found. Um, and that's a problem. Uh, we distinguish the law and the gospel, but we don't separate them. We don't divide them. And they are still there. Pastor Smith, is that, is that about right? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that, you know, I, Layman Slayton, I loved what you brought in there that, you know, highlighting that sentence, this is contrary to the plain gospel, and you were speaking uh, to some of that. Of course, we talked about the plain gospel. We talked a good bit about this last week, actually. The plain gospel is that Christ died for all sins. His satisfaction work that he did on the cross truly is enough. And so, uh, you know, anything that we would have to add to that with our own works says that the plain gospel is not enough. What Christ has done is not enough. And so, that, that is um, definitely the, the highlight of this issue here, even as we understand, and, and Pastor Dembski, I like the way that you talked about that, you know, when we approach Scripture, are we trying to put our own sorts of ideas on there, or are we just um, taking Scripture as it is presented to us? So then I, I guess I have the question for you guys, the, you know, the you know, great minds that you are, should things we're all looking repentance? around behind us <laughs> I've had enough coffee to qualify for a great mind today <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to beef you up so that you'll give good substantive talk here uh, we, what what should something follow repentance does something follow repentance I mean because clearly that these passages you know do talk about you know there are things that follow repentance at least the way that I'm reading it right um, and uh, while they're certainly taking it out of context, and we've talked a little bit about that, how, what, what then follows? The short answer is yes, something does follow repentance, faith. And 
out of that repentant faith flows the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And those aren't anything that we do. That is merely what God does for us so that we can uh, continue on and and live that out. Uh, It looks like Peter Slayton wants to jump in on that. No, no, I was just mimicking that I have a, I need to cough, but I don't have a cough drop button like you oh. guys do. So I'm sorry if people heard me cough just now. That was uh, unfortunate. <laughs> I was gonna, I, I was gonna say that, like you said, I, I think you said it well. That faith is what follows. the The point, though, is that it's like the the adversaries are trying to say what follows is of our own initiative, of our own will. It's something that we have to do, and they seem to be putting that emphasis on the individual. So if I were going to, if I were going to correct what the adversaries are about to do in their misuse of Scripture, which is going to be pretty epic as we move on, is, is they're placing that, well, what follows it, squarely back on me. And as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, that's the wrong place to put it. Well, in all this stuff that we're talking about, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, present your members as slaves to righteousness, all these things, yes, we live as Christians. We are sinners. We need a Savior. We have faith in the salvation that he provides, and yet we live out that Christian life of loving our neighbor, loving God, and it is not of ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit's work in us, and so oftentimes we remember the, oh, yes, we are poor, miserable sinners part. We kind of forget the, oh, yes, but we're also saints who have been washed in waters of baptism and to walk forward in that. And and the reality is that I, if we're going to talk about me doing anything, it's within that reality of me as a saved, regenerated Christian with faith, desiring to actually do bear, bear fruit in keeping with repentance as a Christian. There, there is a proper way to talk about this is God's will for my life, and I actually want to do this. Um, but, but once again, recognizing it's not necessarily, well, it's not me on my own. As you said, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit of faith. And so I always have to be careful that I'm not trying to be the one who's actually taking the credit for this desire within myself, but that that is even placed in the in the right context here. Everybody's passing yeah, I- notes. I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here watching this, and it's like we're back in junior high or something, guys. All right, stop passing notes. Uh, we're, we're on air. Let's let's talk about and voice our ideas. No, uh, we were but, writing uh, down good <laughs> ideas. That's all. Oh, okay. You just don't want to forget them. Okay, yeah, exactly. Now. All right, all right. But uh, maybe I should do that because I'm about to forget what I was just going to say. Um, yeah, I, I think you know the mindset is definitely uh, important here. You know that that we. We frame what is it we're doing here because when we understand, I, I like what Pastor Dembski said there, we are saints and we do need this godly encouragement. The law does also guide us in the proper way to live, and uh, we should see these things, right, as, as they follow repentance. They are a part of the life of faith of the saints, right? And, uh, but when we think, you know, when we start trusting those things, when we start looking for them as if they accomplish anything in and of themselves, then I think they get to that rather pointed uh, phrase there that uh, follows right after this is contrary to the plain gospel. I think he has a very direct phrase here. He says, they even claim that those who have been absolved by the priest should finish the repentance that has been directed. And, uh, you know, at least for me, as I read that, it's like, you know, they're, they're 
they're definitely hitting him pretty hard. If you think that you can finish, then then Christ, when he said it is finished on the cross, is not finished, and uh, and that's a real problem. Um, but then, yes, obviously we should see these things that follow repentance. We should see, uh, you know, forgiveness and a change. I mean, repentance means, we've talked several times about this, literally to turn, to be turned and uh, go a more faithful direction. So we will see that, but that'll be directed by God's Word, and that'll be lived out in a life of faith, not, you know, directed works that we have to do uh, in order to have true repentance. Layman Slayton, you jumping in? I am, because we have a question that has come in via social media from Timothy. Um, if you're friends with us on Facebook, we actually keep track while we're doing the show, and Timothy has sent me a, a message on Facebook. He asks... This, then this goes along with it. I don't know if we've dwelt on this exact question, but it kind of follows right along with what you were saying, Pastor Smith. What then does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? That's Timothy's question. I'm going to give that to you, pastors. The first thing I think about is um, what that what that imagery is of bearing fruit. Of you, you've got that. I think a Psalm one with the the. the Trees by the streams of water. Right, exactly. Right? I was trying to think of how to, how to, how it started off. Yeah, the trees by the streams of water that um, we are rooted in Christ. We are rooted in that faith. But then you think about Galatians um, <clears throat> chapter five with the uh, difference between walking by the flesh and bearing fruit in the spirit of um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. And he says, against such things, there is no law that we live in that peace. We live in that patience. I know Pastor Smith said that forgiveness that we offer people as well. And it also connects us with John 15, where Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And uh, apart from him, you can't bear fruit. Uh, but indeed, we do bear fruit, or more properly, Christ bears fruit in us. The focus here isn't on me bearing fruit, but on Christ bearing fruit. Why he would use such a poor, miserable sinner as myself, it's beyond me. But he does. Thanks be to God. Yeah, I often think of uh, some of the uh, folks that I've gotten to know over the years, good godly folks, um, uh, I especially have in mind a couple older gentlemen that I've met in my time, that they're very peaceful, loving, gentle, they're true gentlemen, right? And uh, they're, they're just faithful in studying the scriptures every day and being in God's Word and being in the church and being fed and nourished by His body and blood for the forgiveness of sins and, and all of these sorts of things. And they just can't help but live that way. Now, I'm not going to judge, you know, whether or not that they're true Christians or not, but it is certainly evident in how they live that they have a true and genuine faith, faith simply because they're just so connected to Christ, His Word, and His sacraments, and it just naturally flows out. And, I mean, this is exactly what we see. This is the imagery that is drawn here when, the, when you talk about fruit and uh you know, yes, those fruits of the Spirit will, will naturally be there. This is part of the, the life of faith that is lived out when we live connected to Christ. And so it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. When you're connected with Christ, you know, and you live a, a, a life of faith, these things will naturally flow out there, and they're directed by God's Word and the working of the Spirit, not directed by the Church or the priest. And, and, and we've talked about this, too, as well. I think we talked really heavily about it last week, and so maybe we don't go too in-depth on this, but, but it is kind of the point of, you know, this is the difference of, like, when a pastor working with individual confession and absolution, um, you know, uh, 
after the absolution is spoken, you know, if there's desire, you know, maybe they dig into God's Word together and see how God's Word would direct them in living in repentance and faith. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not certainly going to say, well, you know, until you say 10 Our Fathers a single, you know, in a single day or something like that, that you're not really living the repentant life. Well, now I've stepped over, or as we talked about last time, it, until you actually stand up in front of the congregation and publicly confess your sin, you're not really repentant and you're not really forgiven. No, that 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 nullifies what Christ has done. And I think that that nullifying what Christ has done is something where this continued discussion that Melanchthon is having with their opponents is going to go on. Because as, as we go on, it, it's going to start talking about how uh, there's a partial forgiveness of purgatory and a partial limiting of what happens in purgatory. Maybe this would be a good time for us to go on a little bit and uh, see how that satisfaction uh, or partial satisfaction for your sin uh, is able to give you some assurance of time off of purgatory. Yeah, why, why don't I go ahead and push us forward a little bit then? I will... Uh pick up there at paragraph 26 or 123, depending on the edition that you have, and here uh, reading, may God confuse these godless philosophers. They wickedly distort God's word to their own most empty dreams. What good person is not moved by such insult? Christ says, repent. The apostles preach repentance, therefore eternal punishments are relieved by the punishments of purgatory. Therefore the keys have the power to pardon part of the punishments of purgatory. Therefore, satisfactions deliver from the punishments of purgatory. Who has taught these asses such logic? Yet this is neither logic nor slick thinking. I'm not even sure. Can I read that on air? I My personal piety didn't allow me to read, so I didn't volunteer for that. Yeah. Donkeys. Yeah. Donkeys. Yeah, donkeys, right, uh, mixed with uh, something else. But uh, it's, it's just right there in the text. But, I mean, this is, um, he's making a very heavy point. So I'm going to keep reading, and we'll come back and talk about that heavy point that he's talking um, thinking, but deceitfully trickery. They appeal to the expression repent in such a way that when the inexperienced hear such a passage cited against us, they may come to the opinion that we deny repentance in its entirety. By these moves, they try hard to turn away minds and to stir up hatred. They do this so that the inexperienced may cry out against us, that the deadly heretics that disprove of repentance should be removed from their midst. All right, Pastor O, you wanted to talk about this purgatory issue. Go ahead and take us. So the idea here that is going on is that that you can, by virtue of a satisfaction, get part of your time in purgatory relieved. Now, this is something that the opponents were saying, and this is not what Luther or Melanchthon or Lutheran Christians today teach at all. Uh, purgatory was a place where you would go if you had not performed enough satisfactions for your sin, if you had not done enough to make them go away, then you would go to purgatory and be purged of the rest of the effects of your sin. And... So by doing satisfactions, you can diminish your time in purgatory. But what Melanchthon is saying is this is such a complicated mind trick that the opponents are playing by saying you can take away some of your time in purgatory by what you do. They have taken the gospel away again. After saying Jesus said repent, instead of pointing to faith, instead of pointing to Christ crucified, they instead point towards what you do. And so they point to what you will do in order to accomplish these things. But 
satisfaction for sin isn't done by us. Sin is only satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yeah, that, that idea of purgatory is really quite an invented thing by the Catholic Church in and of itself, and that there's this place of waiting where you're purified for entrance into heaven or things like that. And um, uh, we've talked on this show before about how this is an invented idea, a place of waiting. And I'm thinking of, I'm a one-year lectionary guy, and so I had the, uh, the picture of... Uh, uh, Lazarus and the rich man uh, going on there, and uh, I preached very pointedly in that text this past Sunday that uh, um, no, there's there's heaven or hell, and it's very clear that there's a chasm fixed in between there. There's no in between state, and nothing changes after after you die and go there. Uh, so, but there is sometimes a time of waiting here in this earthly life. One such would be uh, definitely taking a break to hear a word from our underwriters. Uh, and so we'll catch you right after this break. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122 verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m. for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Every day, our Lutheran schools reach out to children and families with the love of Jesus. Our schools are a rich and vital component of the church, and in fact, they are the single greatest ministry we share that can shape the future growth and expansion of the Synod. And so whether it's a customized loan to fit your school's particular needs or help living out your ministry's God-given purpose, we want to help your ministry flourish and grow. So visit us at lcef.org to learn Learn more. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. In the hours before the Allied invasion of Normandy on June 6, 1944, D-Day, troops were preparing to land on a 50-mile stretch of French coastline. Two days before, Chaplain George Russell Barber conducted church services on 11 different ships, distributing thousands of small service testaments provided by the Gideons International. Barber quoted the 23rd Psalm, attempting to comfort the anxious troops. And on D-Day, Lieutenant Colonel Barber led his men onto Omaha Beach under intense enemy fire. 
Hundreds of soldiers were killed. And in the water, a scene Barber never forgot. Small Bibles floating everywhere. As men in the water died in his arms, Barber quoted Jesus' words from John 14, 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. And welcome back to Concord Matters. We have today with us our core of Christ-confessing Concordians, Layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Mary Dembski, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host. And a reminder that you can interact with our show. You can call in worldwide, 1-800-730-2727. You can also reach us via email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can find us on social media at KFUO Radio on Twitter and Facebook and maybe even Instagram. I don't know, uh, probably. Uh, but let's get back <laughs> we into... We can always uh, check. Talk... What's that? We can always check if somebody's sending us a message on Instagram. We're studio Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that would definitely, uh, you know, be an easy way to just hold up your question and we'll, uh, we'll read it there. But anyway, uh, getting back into our confession of the Augsburg Confession about confession and satisfaction. And uh, we were just talking before the break there about uh, this issue of purgatory and how uh, the adversaries have brought that up in connection with uh, living the repentant life as well. And, and, and we, we slam that pretty hard, definitely. Uh, Melanchthon has a uh, very choice word in there that I wasn't even sure I was able to read on a Christian radio station on air. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll just let it be and uh, pray... Uh, Pray for God's forgiveness there. Anyway, I'm going to continue reading here and uh, um, uh, push forward a little bit further. So this is picking up with paragraph 27. We hope that these lies may make little headway among good people. We also hope that God will not put up with such rudeness and wickedness much longer. The Pope of Rome has not become any more dignified using such patrons because he has entrusted a very important matter of the greatest importance to the judgment of these philosophers. Since we include almost all of the Christian doctrine in the Confession, judges should have been appointed to declare about important and various matters. Their learning and faith would have been more acceptable than the learning of these philosophers who have written this confutation. It was very fitting of you, O Campigius, uh, according to your wisdom, to have made sure that they should write nothing about important matters that either now or later might appear to lower respect for the Roman See. If the Roman See determines that all nations should recognize her as mistress of the faith, she should try very hard to have educated and godly people investigate religious matters. What will the world conclude if at any time the adversary's writing is brought to think writing is brought to light? What will future generations think about this disgraceful judicial investigations? You see, O Campigius that these are the last days. Christ predicted that the greatest danger to religion would happen in them, Matthew 24, 9 to 28. You who sit should sit on the watchtower, Hosea 9, 8, and control religious matters should in these times also use unusual wisdom and diligence. Unless you heed them, there are many signs that, the threatening, that threaten a change to the Roman state. You make a mistake if you think that churches should be kept only by force and arms. The people are asking to be taught about religion. How many 
do you suppose there are, not only in Germany, but also in England and Spain and France and Italy, and finally even in the city of Rome? Since controversies have come up about subjects of the greatest importance, they are beginning to doubt here and there, to be silently insulted that you refuse to investigate and rightly judge such weighty subjects. They doubt or insulted that you do not help wavering consciences, that you only ask us to be overthrown and destroyed by arms. To many good people, this doubt is more bitter than death. You do not think enough about how great a subject religion is, if you think that good people are in anguish for little reason when they doubt any teaching. This doubt can have no other effect than to produce the greatest bitterness of hatred against those who hinder the explanation of the subject when they should heal consciences. I'm going to pause there. It goes on for a little bit more, but uh, basically my, my uh, couple words summary here is, is you have poor theologians who are philosophizing instead of actually speaking truth, and uh, even more dangerously, there's actually people who care about this faith stuff, and you're leading them astray with this bad teaching, uh, especially when we consider the simple people in our churches who aren't professional theologians, right? Uh, Layman Slayton, go but ahead. This entire paragraph is one long insult. And then, then he actually Correct. names the name of, uh, I'm assuming, one of the guys who wrote the confutation, whoever this campegius is i don't know but it's like i'm reading this i'm like he's he's now speaking directly to the adversaries it's he's this is not the tone has shifted a lot of the apology is to the emperor pleading their case before the emperor now this has shifted to the adversaries and he's speaking directly to them and insulting them uh for this specifically once again i love how he's brought up the the burdened consciences again and one thing that i that I keep thinking about. I don't know if we've talked about it a lot on the show yet in in the context of this, but in that day and age, people kind of had a different perspective than we do. I'll contrast it with our, our society today. Everybody pretty much thinks they're awesome and, and they love themselves. And why wouldn't God love me too? I mean, that's pretty much the, the, the mental state of, of many people and all everything that we do is all about self-esteem and making yourself feel good about yourself and all that. In Luther's time, it was actually the complete opposite. Everybody was walking around fully convinced that God hated them and the wrath of God was going to fall upon them at any moment and that they were worthless and that they were scum. And the only way that they could fix that, according to the church, was by doing these satisfactions. They were literally trying to earn their way into God's good graces because overwhelmingly the cultural uh, mindset was, God hates us, he's angry at us, and we must appease him. And so when we read the apology in that context, especially here where now Melanchthon is saying, look, there are some people who actually care about this. They, they've realized that this is actually important because maybe they're starting to get a glimmer of God is different than I've been told he is. I want to know more about that. I want to learn more about that. And here's Melanchthon saying, and you guys are refusing to tell them. Because you're making mountains out of molehills, you are focusing on the minors and letting these major questions of the gospel and the comfort of the absolution be taken away from people because you're focusing on uh, satisfaction that you bring instead of the satisfaction that Christ brings. And Melanchthon, once again, is driving all of us all Christians back to Jesus Christ. And that is a really important thing to constantly remember as we're reading through the apology. It's, it's sad because it's not something that is just 
in the days of Melanchthon and the apology that that goes on. I mean, this is still happening constantly today. And I'm not just talking uh, of like the Roman Catholic Church, but the whole broader um, there's there's a lot of Christians in this world who have not heard the actual gospel, who walk around with bound consciences, not with necessarily the words of I have to make satisfaction, but with the idea that, well, Jesus did some cool stuff, but I've got to make it up to him. So now I've got to do something to please God. And so people are bound in this and all they hear are these deceptive uh, statements that pull them away from that gospel and the importance of his word. And one of yeah, our I listeners I, has... Oh, okay. go ahead, Pastor Smith. I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to tag on that real quick. Would you say that, uh, especially with the kind of what we call the social justice warriors today, would kind of be what you're thinking there, Pastor Dembski, that, you know, those who really think that by their social action in the culture, um, that, uh, you know, they're doing what they need to do, uh, and they're trying to pattern that after Jesus instead of saying, no, Jesus died for my sins. And, I definitely think that that is a part of it, and I definitely think that that is one group that could come to mind. But I've, I've known so many who, who are well-meaning, and they love Christ, and they, they want to do good things, but they don't realize that uh, until that day when they can't read their Bible for some reason, or they're not able to make it to church, and then they feel like they're going to go to hell for you know not being able to be there that day, and they're not actually resting in Christ's forgiveness, um, I mean, certainly I can, we can think of uh, people who are just focused on we're going to change the world, we're going to make the world a better place, and then we'll earn God's acceptance. But uh, just the people that have not actually heard that gospel. And, you know, you can go to any store and see the whole wall of Christian books. Um, pretend I'm making air quotes, right? <laughs> just because of the content of them. And uh, it's so depressing because all of it is just pointing to ourselves and what we can do. And again, not using the words of satisfaction or that kind of thing, um, and not using any theological language um, other than God loves you and here's how you can make sure that he really loves you, that kind of thing, and uh, without actually pointing to Christ. One of our listeners, Jennifer, has been tracking with this and apparently figured out exactly where we were going to go. Uh, and so she wrote in, uh, there's a non-denominational or could be considered Baptist church that has people give testimonies. But when I hear about this, I feel as though they are doing more a public confession as a way to receive forgiveness of sins. And the comfort that people are being driven to that Jennifer perceives and that that you can see in a lot of places is the comfort of making an honest and full disclosure, not the comfort that comes from Jesus removing your sins. And any kind of a, of a testimonial will simply try to get the guilt and the shame off of me. But if that guilt and shame isn't borne by Christ, it's got nowhere to go. And, and having grown up with doing testimony time and stuff my experience typically with a testimonial service usually isn't pointing to christ it's usually kind of reading the signs and saying you know what i had a great day and i know god loves me because that check showed up in the mail and so i know this week and i wanted to encourage you all that god loves us because he uh he made sure that i was feeling better and and that the sickness went away the whatever thing physically in this world but it doesn't often point to forgiveness it doesn't often point to christ you know it doesn't point to scripture it ends up pointing to something that 
okay, what if that check didn't arrive in the mail? What would this week's testimonial be? You know, would you know that God loved you still, even if <laughs> that didn't happen? You know, like that kind of thing. And so it sets the focus in the wrong place at many times. But yeah, and, uh, that can, and I've, I've seen that happen as a type of confession time. And I've also seen that as almost like a, a sacramental time in a church body like that. I, I think there can be a helpful aspect also someone who grew up in, in evangelical circles and testimonies being a regular part of you know very various aspects of church when in the context of what we're discussing here with with satisfactions there is a positive side to these kinds of testimonials because you do have an individual standing up in front of the congregation saying i sinned this was bad this is wrong i desire to do differently and so that if we're putting that in the context of uh, line 24, but at various places, the explanation of the canons confirmed that these observations were set up for the sake of church discipline. Okay, let's put the best construction on a testimonial in the context of church discipline. That can be a good thing. The problem is, that's not necessarily the point of the testimonial. So while they, while that may actually be a good result that can come out of them, where there is this confession of sin before the congregation, and so the congregation knows Ah, this person has been restored. They agree that what they did was sinful. They are seeking to to make reparations, to restore relationships that were broken. This is good. So that can happen mm -hmm. as a result of a testimonial. But that's not actually the purpose of a testimonial uh, in, in that context. And so, yeah. <laughs> and part of the challenge here is the brokenness that each of us has where we are curved in on ourselves. Something that starts with really good intentions and something that everybody wants to, to say, all glory be to God. But our old sinful flesh is going to arise in each of us as often as it can to say, no, 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 no. Let's make the focus about me again. And... Even when we try to put the best construction on things, we recognize that we are corrupted by our sinfulness. Well, and the way that would happen in a testimonial is, that's the way I used to be, and now I'm not that way anymore. And so you run into this problem of getting better and, and being not as bad a sinner or not the same kind of sinner or, or any number of ways you can run with that. But the focus does inevitably get turned back upon me as the individual in my confession of sin by virtue of saying, look how bad I was and look how good I am now. And and the focus of almost every testimonial I've ever heard, Jesus has a honorable mention in the middle as the change agent, but that's kind of it. Now, now it's back on me and look how much better I'm doing. The inevitable problem being that somebody's going to fall into sin again, maybe even the same one, and okay, well now what happened? Now what do I do? Because I was I, I was changed. I'm a different person, but I fell into the same sin in the same way that I did before. I, everything was the same, but I, I thought I was actually different. Maybe it didn't take last time. Well yeah, and that's where you end up. Mm -hmm. Oh, this time I'm sincere. And you're mm -hmm. on that roller coaster, which is what you actually find with these satisfactions and the purgatory and all that kind of stuff. You know, the the Roman Catholic Church. Hey, we got a system for that. We we can help you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think the uh, the the danger here is that you begin looking at the fruit for some sort of proof, 
And I think that's what's going on with the satisfaction uh, issue for the Roman Catholic Church at that time, certainly, is that uh, they're, they're trusting the fruit, uh, the things that follow, and especially for the satisfactions, they're directing it by the Church as to what fruit that should be, and they're trusting that. I think that does come up with testimonials. I think it also comes up um, in other things, even things that we do within the Lutheran Church, and I don't mean to outright slam and say that these shouldn't happen or anything, but, you know, just something as simple as sometimes when you bring in a missionary who's been out in the field and return home or something, and they give a presentation, I've heard a lot of good godly folks, even Lutheran folks, walk away from that, and they're kind of talking all about the glory of how great this missionary is and how inspirational that is and everything. And and in my own mind, sometimes I'm just like, wow, like, was Christ completely obscured from this? Should Christ not be the center and focus of everything? And, and a lot of times, you know, especially when it comes to the missionary presentations and things like that, it, it may be that the, the missionary um, is centering on what Christ is doing, but it's so easy. We still have that, as I think Pastor Hill said, we, in sin, we are turned in on ourselves. It is so easy to misunderstand that, manipulate that, and completely obscure Christ um, from what's being said. And so you always have to be very careful with this. And, and this is also the same issue as why our church doesn't use eulogies with funerals and things like that, because anytime we start talking about the glory of man, it, it can easily obscure and overshadow the glory that Christ has and what he has done and what he is doing. And, uh, and so that's always a great danger for the, for the Church uh, in this world. Now, I think that, um, as, as Layman Slayton said, probably um, testimonials, uh, although I'm a little less skeptical on that, but definitely like as I brought in the missionary presentations and other things, I think they have godly intentions and then just get obscured and so forth. Um, I don't know that the satisfactions were necessarily as godly intention from the get-go. I, 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 I have, have said in the past, I do think that, you know, of course there are those things that, that follow repentance, and it is directed by Scripture. But uh, me personally, at least when I take a look at what happened, especially in the Middle Ages and even still today, I think it is the Church manipulating things very intentionally so that they can seize the power and especially finances and so forth. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on that? That's above my pay grade. I'm not a historian. <laughs> I think that there comes a point where even when satisfactions aren't biblical, thinking like a pastor, I can think uh, there are times when my own sinful flesh wants to look at other people and say, but are you serious? Are you sure? Are you really clicking with this? Um, and I would love to see somebody put a little bit of skin in the game. That is completely and totally my sinful flesh. Well, even in the midst of my sinful flesh, there's no room for that. And there's no room for me to put in something that God hasn't put, uh, prescribed to a sinner. And so I can, I can see perhaps where the people who started asking for satisfactions were coming from. It doesn't mean they landed in a very good place. Uh, and I think that we get to a very similar place with testimonials where there's good intent, but sometimes we end up in not such a great place with them because we lose we lose track of the fact that all of us are so corrupted by our sin that we want to make everything all about us all the time. Yeah, I agree. The The point of the testimonials, while, while the intent is, look how great Jesus is. I mean, that that is what people are actually trying to do. They are trying to share the gospel with those 
who maybe don't believe or those who could be encouraged in their faith. And so that that is the the point of a testimonial, but like the satisfactions, in almost every case it gets turned into look how great I am or how great I am now. And yeah, it's and it's really hard to avoid that simply because of the format of what the testimonial is. Yeah, and I think uh, it's interesting that our listener connected it in more with confession, if I remember correctly, than actually satisfaction. And and I can see maybe what she's talking about there, too, as well, is that, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, in these testimonials, the, people have these very heartfelt kind of experiences uh, in their own life and so forth. And, um, you know, they're, they're kind of looking for approval and acceptance by peers, rather than trusting and hearing the word of absolution. I mean, maybe private confession is really what they need, but it's almost like, well, if these people can accept me, you know, while it does kind of lead to the things that we've talked about and kind of glorifying that person that gives the testimony, and there's always that danger there, I think that they are just looking in the wrong place. They are trusting, you know, the, the, the absolution and acceptance of those who hear the testimonial as validation that, yes, Christ Christ has taken care of this, instead of just saying, no, Christ has taken care of this, and I really don't have to talk about it even. That's just been my observation of testimonials from time to time anyway. We're all nodding our heads in agreement. You can yeah, hear, that, you can hear that, the air wonderful. Yeah. around all of our minds. Yeah, it's great radio, <laughs> it the is. head nodding. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we push forward a little bit then? Picking up a paragraph 32, Pastor Hill, I'm going to have you read. Wonderful. The religious leaders think that they can easily ensure against this since they hold the keys. Of course, they can open heaven for themselves whenever they want. We are speaking of the judgments of people and the silent desires of all nations. At this time, they require that these matters be investigated and decided so that good minds may be healed and freed from doubt. For according to your wisdom, you can easily decide what will happen if at any time this hatred should break out against you. By this favor, you will be able to bind all nations to yourself. All sane people will regard it as the highest and most important matter if you heal doubting consciences. We have said these things, not because we doubt our confessions, for we know that it is true, godly, and useful to godly consciences. It is likely that there are many in many places who waver about matters of no small importance, yet they do not hear teachers that are able to heal their consciences. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that's an <laughs> awkward transition. <laughs> I wasn't sure you were stopping. You kind of left on a higher note there. Oh, sorry about uh, that. Yeah, I, I think this continues the thought. I mean, it's interesting if you're reading along in the Book of Concord, you know, kind of the, the subject section that we began with back at paragraph 25 today, it says in, in brackets, misuses of Scripture, and they really only spend one paragraph talking about the Scripture passages, uh, and they're just continuing to go on and on about what great danger this does when when people are not taught the truth of Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's amazing how much they talk about conscience, because growing up, I never connected conscience to any kind of spiritual anything. You know, you talk about... You connected to crickets? One in particular? Oh, I see what you did there. 
I get it. it VeggieTales last week, it it's Disney joke. this week. I get it. Yeah. Are, we, are we making this a Jiminy Cricket episode? <laughs> I think we just did. I think yeah. we did. <laughs> it's okay. I like jokes. So <laughs> I don't get them, but I yeah. like them. Look at him and Bob Costas sometime. You'll, you'll think they're the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but this idea of conscience is just, uh, you know, you, I, would, I would hear the term conscience and think about the fact that, you know, if you did something that you shouldn't do, it weighed on your conscience. You know, but I never had any kind of connection to a, a spiritual side of that, of it, uh, of like the gospel being able to heal the conscience and have peace from things that have been done. Um, and so to hear that again and again here and to hear a lot of teaching about how our uh, stained conscience can influence how we view the world, how we interact with people and stuff. Um, it's amazing to see this. And, and this is a struggle that we still have with our human nature to this day. So the solution that the adversaries were proposing to these seared consciences was, well, work it off. Here, here's what you can do. You got, you have a guilty conscience. Here's what you can do to work off that guilt. We actually still do the same thing today. It may not be imposed upon us by church, but we do look at, okay, this thing has made me feel guilty. The solution to my guilt is for me to stop doing it or decide that it's not actually a bad thing that I'm doing. And and those tend to be our two go-to solutions for when our conscience is guilty. Or to think that it's not that bad that I could work it off. Yeah. <laughs> and notice every all of those solutions is me. I'm the one actually solving my conscience problem. So rather than looking at my guilt... And, and acknowledging this is a sin or this is something for which I should feel guilty. I should not have done this thing. Lord Jesus Christ, please help me because of for your sake, because of who you are. I still turn to myself. I think that one of the interesting things about our conversation today and all of these misuses of Scripture is the uses of Scripture that the opponents of the Augsburg Confession were using weren't really deep scriptural thinking or in deep scriptural thoughts. It's how they were using the Scriptures. It's the error. And they were, they went looking to scripture for a way for wounded consciences to make themselves feel better. Wounded consciences can't make themselves feel better though. Wounded consciences are only healed by Christ who says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the one who says, peace I give with you, peace I leave with you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That one, Jesus, heals wounded consciences. No testimonials, no satisfactions, no amount of holiness or good works is going to make you feel better. All that can make you feel better is Jesus Christ your Lord who is revealed to you in the gospel. Amen to that. Heal your conscience with the witness of Holy Scripture. And that's what the confessors are extolling here in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, that God's Word alone directs us in what makes satisfaction for sins. And so, as you are godly people, find your comfort in Christ, His Word, and sacraments. Thanks for stopping by today. Until next time, keep confessing, church. <laughs>